You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome back to Fly on the Call, candid conversations on music and to our first interview episode of the new year. I hope that everyone's decade has been off to a wonderful start, but even if yours hasn't, there's still plenty of time to turn it around, and I know you'll make it through. On today's episode, we have Roger Harvey, who describes himself succinctly in his Twitter bio as too punk for country, too stone to care. That's why it was so much fun talking to him. He's quote-unquote one of us, and has been deeply involved in the punk scene for many years, but is using the same ethos he learned from that and bringing it into country music, the genre who pioneered many of the rebellious attitudes that makes punk so special. Please enjoy this conversation. I kind of wanted to start out by talking about, um, I guess, like your roots in music, because I know you grew up in like rural Pennsylvania. So like the country or folky side of things kind of makes sense. But I know you're also like very into like the punk kind of scene. So how did that um, kind of come about? And how did those two things kind of like blend together for you? So I grew up in a town in the northwest corner of Pennsylvania very small town in uh, Erie County (laughs) called Girard, Pennsylvania. And uh, that town is very small, very rural, very close-minded. I didn't have many friends growing up, but uh, I fell in at some point with some older kids who all played in punk rock bands. That happened, I guess, when I was like about nine years old. I fell in with these with these kids. It was the first time I kind of like looked around in this small town and was like, "Wait, what's that? What's that kid doing with a skateboard? Or what's why does he have a mohawk?" Which I didn't really know anything about that. I just knew that that kind of looked like maybe other people that didn't fit in. and that kind of started this whole thing where I fell in with this group of kids who uh, try to keep it kind of condensed, but who then moved about two and a half hours south to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, started playing with their band and traveling with their band. Uh, and at some point, I guess when I was like 11 or 12 years old, I joined back up with them and started traveling and I was selling their t-shirts. So that's kind of, that's kind of what brought me into music. Um, I got into folk and country music through, actually through, through punk rock music. Um, I I grew up with 
country music everywhere and kind of didn't identify with it. <clears throat> um, but folk music kind of came back pretty quickly to me through some of the more uh, political punk rock music that I was listening to. I fell in love with Woody Guthrie's music um, through that. And like, I guess just like more rootsy protest music. <laughs> and then that kind of opened up this whole world of some of the music that I grew up with and some of the music that I hadn't heard or a different side of some of that music um, mm -hmm. than what I was raised with or kind of rebelled against. I think <laughs> that it's like inherent in us to rebel against whatever it is that is our surroundings. When we're, um, mm -hmm. And it's kind of funny that sometimes you go back to those things through nostalgia or through, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess nostalgia might be a lot of it, but I think that that's like a pretty inherent human experience to kind of round back around to these things and be like, I hated this shit when I was a kid, but now I kind of <laughs> like it. For sure. Yeah, it's funny. That's kind of like a little bit similar to like the experience that I had. Um, like I grew up with both of my parents mostly listening to country music and um, at the time I like kind of enjoyed it, but then I dove like fully into like the punk and rock side of things once I like discovered it. And now it's like every once in a while, you know, stuff like you or um, Lizzie No, a couple other just like kind of random like country or folk stuff will kind of pop into my radar and I'll like feel that nostalgia for it, like you said, and definitely be able to like enjoy it in a different way through the lens of punk and rock. <laughs> I love it. Um... Yeah, I mean, I think that there's something inherently, not to sound too like cliche, but the things that I that I took growing up in punk rock music, I think a lot of those things existed in country music before punk rock even existed. <laughs> um, and also, obviously, and like uh, probably most apparent in the protest side of uh, folk music as <laughs> well. So it's definitely like, to me, it's all part of the same thing, but I guess as I've gotten older, I just relate a little bit more to the delivery of some of the things that I uh, rebelled against when I was younger. <laughs> Maybe we're a little bit more part of the same thing than I once, once thought. For sure. Um, and it's interesting that you kind of brought up the idea of like, you know, moving forward to go backwards like through music kind of like through the music that you listen to and stuff um it was it stood out to me that um you like made the video for or like shot the footage for the video for twice as high before you recorded the song um and then kind of like worked backwards to writing that song and also writing um raining in la because of that um can you talk a little bit about um just kind of like that process and kind of the idea of you know, trucking forward, even when, you know, not everything is kind of fully flushed out on the back end? I think for me, that's just necessity. It's like, uh, I've been dealing that with that. I mean, everything, there's so many moving parts um, when you're doing something like what I'm doing with music. And I guess the only thing that really makes you feel good is the, is the movement forward um, and chasing that. And it's really sometimes seemingly impossible as a, someone who does mostly everything on, on your own or with the help of your friends to kind of keep the, 
keep the train moving. And so I don't know if there was really any like reason to the backwards way that I did those things, but um, it was more just like, I kind of hit this point with making, you know, I did these singles and it was really liberating for me because starting to get really difficult to figure out how to move everything forward the way that I wanted it to, while also fitting into this format that really doesn't apply to people like me. And that format is you write the songs, you go into the studio, you record a full length record, you, I guess, put money behind releasing the record, promoting the record, all these things that kind of only exist in the format of an artist on a label that has money to do those things. Um, and so I started writing these songs and I wasn't really coming up with a full records worth of songs, but I started thinking maybe instead of trying to put all my eggs into this basket of recording another full length and spending all this money working to make the money to spend, to do this thing and follow this format, maybe like it started with twice as high. I wrote that song and I was like, I really like this song. We were going out and we were playing it. I was getting really good feedback from it. Um, not to say that that necessarily made me feel any certain way about it, but it was a song that I was really proud of. And I kind of started thinking, maybe I should just record this song and release this song and see what happens. And, and kind of like give it this, give it this backdrop that isn't as precious. Like with the, the thing that I love about the single releasing is instead of putting all this energy and time into this full length piece and putting it out independently out into the world and just, you know, if at the end of the day, it's like, if I put out twice as high or you and I are raining in LA or any of these songs and I just put all this energy into just releasing that one song and it doesn't, I feel like it, you know, if it falls flat or something like that, it's not as devastating. It's, and it also isn't as like, this is my masterpiece. <laughs> um, so what I've been doing with the singles is kind of putting things out into the world because for me, that's what, that's one of the things that I really love to do with music and just kind of letting them live out there. And I think some of these songs will go on to the next full length record. And because of the way that I do things, because I don't have some major market behind me or I don't have X, Y, Z that you're supposed to have in music or however people think that it works. Um, I'm going to build some of these songs into a new record and then I'll come out with full length and a lot of people will hear twice as high and you and I and songs like that for the first time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's been, it's been, I guess like that concept is the bigger concept that came out of the making the video out in Joshua Tree. That was simple. Uh, my friend Adam Spadaro, who's a fantastic filmmaker and fellow stoner and friend. <laughs> uh, she lives in Los Angeles and does a lot of video and uh, photo work out there. And I was, so I, when I'd written the song, I kind of had this vision to, what if we went out and just like wandered around in the desert out there? And she was like, I really need that right now. And I was like, yeah, well, that's why I'm, why I'm calling. I really need that too. So we went <laughs> out and, and we did that. Nice. <laughs> um, and you mentioned like kind of the idea of the songs, uh, like as being able to release them as singles. Um, 
kind of like helping temp like temper your expectations in a way and like not being as you know like bothered if it uh doesn't do quite as well as you'd like um but it's funny because i like look at it kind of the other way of like where it allows you know each individual song to like shine and have like their moment and stuff um is that something that you feel happens with it as well i think so especially with the all the great video uh people that i got to work with um giving i i felt like the videos that we made for the three singles that i put out they kind of like added it almost became like an extension of the music <laughs> um they gave them this like context i really uh and yeah i mean if you put out a full-length record you would never make a video for every song or <laughs> i guess i guess you could uh <laughs> but I don't know how you would do that because those things I'm lucky to have friends who are willing to work at, with me and my budget and know that I'm in the boat that I am, but still, I mean, doing anything, uh, like I said, it takes a lot of moving parts. So a lot of, a lot of people need to be paid and I, and deserve to be paid. And I basically constantly feel like I'm underpaying people, but, uh, I guess that's we're all in this together and we're all working with each other so um but i yeah i definitely feel like yeah there's this this focus on these like individual pieces i think that that's such a cool part of it yeah and i've seen you talk um in a couple of like the pieces that i read about kind of like just the idea of like the power of song um could you like expand on that a little bit well that's why we're talking right <laughs> i mean that's why that's why we're here doing doing any of this stuff, I, I, to go back to the beginning, it's like when I, where I grew up and when I was growing up, I felt trapped. There was no, there was no real like idea of a bright future in anything. Um, when I connected with music and connected with some of those friends that I was talking about and especially got to travel and go on the road and be a part of that, um, tradition, I guess, of like, I, I always think like, that's what folk music is. It's, it's this thing that we can, that anyone can make, that we can all share in t together and, and it can kind of lift, we can all, we can all rise with it, I guess. Um, but I, I mean, you see that, that's not like, all music is folk music in that sense. Um, but yeah, I think that song is, for me has been such an uplifting thing in my life. It's been so incredible to be a part of it. When I started writing my own songs and, and playing and recording and doing all the things that you do in this, in this side of life, I, it just, I think the big thing was like a gratitude to contribute to this folk tradition mm -hmm. that is making music. And um, for me, that's something that like, even if I only, reach one person or even if it just lifts me up um i think that that's still worth the worth the effort to me because i know how much it meant when someone showed me that way and <laughs> and it affected me and i mean i don't know if it's like a little too intense to say but it's like if i hadn't have connected with music the way that i did met the people that i met along the way then 
I probably would still be in Northwest Pennsylvania working on a factory or who knows what. Um, <laughs> and I feel like music has always been there for all the mistakes that I've made in my life and I, all the valleys, I guess. It's always been there to show me the way to getting back up to where I want to be. And so I just keep following it. But I, yeah, I guess I, I believe that music is a very powerful thing and I think it's amazing that we can kind of tap into that and share it yeah for sure and um, I, I know you had mentioned um, that you had gotten into like the punk side of things and touring and stuff uh, when you were I think you said like 11 or 12 or something um, when was it that like the writing and performing part came in for you I started playing so my dad had an acoustic guitar um, that he just kind of lived in its case and at some point after I met some of these folks who were playing, I really looked up to them. So I was like, I started kind of fucking with that guitar, um, which was really funny because I'd never seen my dad play before, but then he would come down and be like, Oh, let me, let me see that thing. Um, now he is playing. Now he plays in bands, uh, back in Erie County. And so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I started, fucking around playing guitar and I guess writing songs around that same time. Um, and then at some point got sick of selling t-shirts because I remember having a moment when I was like maybe 15 years old where I was like, I went to the band that I was traveling with and I was like, I can't do it anymore. And they were like, what, what can't you do? And I was like, I can't be the, I can't be the merch the merch person anymore. I, I'm sick of watching the people that I'm surrounded by do what I want to do. I want to be in a band. It was like a very like teenage thing, <laughs> but it was very important to me at the time. And so I stopped traveling with them and I moved back home and I started a band. It was like where I grew up in an area that there's really only one scene and it, it was a hardcore scene. Mm -hmm. Um, which, so like when we were growing up, we always went to hardcore shows, even though we were more into punk rock and more into other things. Um, it's just kind of, it was this, the social event. That's if you like music, you go to hardcore shows. Uh, and so I fell in with some kids who were doing, a, they were starting a hardcore band that I think they like presented it to me as like a refused style, political, like heavy, but I don't know how to describe that sound, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I started playing with them. I think, I think I was playing bass. Actually I was playing bass guitar, which was also funny cause I was, had never played bass before. <laughs> and I did that for a few months. And then, uh, the group that I'd been traveling with, they're called the code by the way. <laughs> uh, they hit me up and they lost a guitar player and they're like, they were like, would you like to come back out on the road but play guitar for us? And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. So I, I remember quitting the other, the hardcore band. We were called Texas Funeral. Um, that, was, that was a big thing when I was, I must have been like 16 at that time. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that, I guess that's like, that's how I started. Then, then I played in that band for a while. We traveled around and then I at some point was like, kind of had a similar moment where I left that band and they were like, why are you leaving? And I was like, I like folk music. 
I want to make <laughs> folk music. And then I moved to New York City and I played a bunch of shows in New York and no one came. And then I ended up back on that side of Pennsylvania doing a, doing a band in Pittsburgh called White Wives. And that put me in touch with a lot of the, the people in this kind of community that I roll with now. Um, I don't know. So I guess just kept following it. Yeah. And you just mentioned like the word community and you've been talking about like the kind of tradition um, of like the genres that you're into. Um, and I'm curious about kind of like, it seems like you community is more important than genre to you and to like the way that your music is received. Um, like pretty much all of the artists on uh, like underrelated artists to you on like Apple Music and Spotify or like more like rock bands and stuff like that. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that kind of like idea of community and um, like how it fits in with the, your idea of genre? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the, so in music, it's like you're constantly trying to wrangle all these things that are completely outside of your control. Um, one of the things that I've found that is within your control, uh, not that it doesn't take a little bit of magic to it, but that has been really empowering to me is this idea or this ability for every individual inside this, I guess, greater community to uh, build a community that is individual to them. Um, I think that when you get involved in certain communities, especially in I mean, it goes, it's, it kind of crosses all genres, but whether you're coming up in punk music or country music, I mean, there's always a scene that you're kind of rolling with or fitting into. Um, and something that I think is a little difficult for people to learn is just because certain people like the same things doesn't mean that they have to be part of your community and, or uh, that they're, good people that you should be surrounding yourself by um and we see examples of that all the time uh but the thing for me that has been really empowering is getting to connect with those people getting to learn about these people who i believe are are good people and are my people and i've kind of built what i feel like is a little community among all of them and that transcends all you know that does involve people in rock bands and punk bands, but a lot of people in country bands and folk singers. And that's like, that's part of the power of, of music to me is the, the ways in which it brings all these people together. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I feel like for me, it's, yeah, it's about that individual community building as opposed to this like blind sense of like, well, we all do this thing. So we, we have to be a community. It's, it's so diverse. There's such a incredible wealth of people who are doing this thing. And I think a big thing among music makers and people who work in music um, is we're all kind of here for this, a similar reason, even if we can't put our finger directly on it. I mean, it, it, it's all about a love of music, a belief in music. There's really no reason to do it if you don't love, love this or believe in it. And um yeah i think that 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 to me is it's it's one of my favorite parts of music mm -hmm. yeah definitely that, that makes a lot of sense um and, and you had mentioned kind of like 
building your own community around yourself, um, kind of like as in who you associate with. But I think it's interesting the way that, you know, you can kind of do that for like the community surrounding your the music you're putting out because like you know it seems like the bands that kind of make they allow themselves to exist outside of a specific scene are usually the ones that kind of get the um like the strongest the biggest fans like the ones who are like super dedicated kind of no matter what uh, is that something that you've kind of like started to see is like kind of creating that more like passionate fan base definitely i think that um yeah there's a I guess there's, uh, all we do is music makers, or I guess even in your position, like what you're doing, like we're just putting things out into the world. We, we can't really control the way that people take those things in, but I believe that if you're doing something that to you feels natural and isn't forced, and also like, I think what you're touching on is like, maybe something that's a little bit more inclusive, which to me is really important because I don't want to, I, I never, I never was allowed to be a part of any club. <laughs> and I, I wanted this music. There should be no space in like to be so in, because it's separate from, you're like negating the power of what you can do with music. You, don't allow other people to be a part of it, understand it. I think that to me, one of the most beautiful things when it comes to that is when you see, I, I see it a lot in country music, uh, maybe just because I'm looking at it more, but kind of artists having the ability to challenge people's mindsets. When you, when you fall in love with a singer, and they present an idea to you that maybe challenges you. Yeah, it's almost like having a conversation with, with someone because you, you see this person as someone that you respect, maybe even a friend um, through music. And yeah, I feel like I've been in, involved in a lot of communities that are more exclusive and don't really care about maybe opening conversations with others. It's more about rallying around a shared idea. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that I have like complete disrespect for that. Like I understand the power of getting together in a group with like-minded individuals and rallying around an idea. And I mean, it makes you feel good. It makes, it creates strength. Um, but yeah, for me, I guess like it is about more inclusion i always find it interesting to i mean i always think it's amazing that anyone would listen to my music but <laughs> especially such an incredibly diverse group of people and i think that it is about kind of the way that i operate as well as i'm willing to i mean i want to go out on the road and and play as much as possible and and because i have a diverse community of people that operates in different worlds i get to play for a, like i was just down in texas a few months ago doing shows that were so separate from anything i grew up in the in the punk rock scene but those shows were really powerful because me and the people that i rolled with got to bring some ideas in front of some people like a, a song 
like the title track for my last full-length record, Two Coyotes, is about, uh, it's a love song about the U.S.-Mexico border mm. and losing someone that you love to things that are outside of your control, specifically that you don't even really understand, kind of the idea of like how something so pure could be considered illegal in this climate and this time. And playing that song down to Texas has a lot of different connotation and a different resonance than playing it up in Pennsylvania, not that it doesn't resonate here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love those, I love those opportunities to meet and talk to people that maybe on paper would seem like these two should never be in the same room. Um, and especially mm-hmm. to get to perform for them because I think music can break down a lot of those walls mm-hmm. and I hope to do more of that this year. Yeah, definitely. And, um, that kind of, in a way, ties into like one of the questions that I had about um, the Casey Musgraves "Burn One with John Prine" um, release that you did. Um, I think, you know, you're saying kind of like bringing ideologies to new audiences, but I think even that, in a way, can or like what the cover that you did kind of like potentially has, is able to bring like different kinds of music to new people because if you're like people when from the rock genres like the punk side of things are following and listening to you like they might not even know who Casey Musgraves is and then might check it out because of your cover or whatever um so I think that's kind of like an interesting uh, comparison between those two sides of things and I'm, I'm curious how you went into that song um especially considering it's not what it's not something that she has like officially released or anything and you're like you're technically the first person to like put that song to tape and release it in like a official way um so how was that kind of like process for you and what was it about the song that like spoke to you uh it's an amazing song um and i saw a video of casey musgraves performing that song for john prine um and kind of talking about it a little bit and they were just sitting they were on a cruise ship playing somewhere and they were just sitting on stage with two acoustic guitars and she kind of tells the story of the song, then goes into the song. And I just thought it was incredibly moving. I've been a John Prine fan for most of my life and uh, I am a newer Casey Musgraves fan. I saw her play at Willie Nelson's 4th of July picnic in Austin, Texas about three years ago um, and kind of, started to connect more to her story and the things that she's been doing. Um, obviously has grown exponentially in the, I always tell this when I do this song live, I always say, if I start talking about it too much, I, I always say, I don't know if Casey Musgraves or John Prine need any more publicity, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, they're both fantastic artists. I think that, uh, the ideas in the songs are something that I relate to a lot. Um, it's kind of just about being, to me, the way that I have adopted the song, or, and I think maybe the intention of the song is uh, about growing up and trying to make your way and, and not fitting in anywhere, but kind of being like in the chorus, it resolves to like maybe being proud that at some point that like maybe you don't fit in or maybe you run with the wrong crowd and that's where you want to be uh 
And then this funny anecdote, anecdote about smoking pot with John Prine and how that would be, I, it, I, I just really, yeah, I saw that video and I learned the song and uh, we started doing it. I started playing it by myself on the road and then we started doing it with the band. And it, the big thing at the beginning of it was we got to do this song because I just put out two coyotes and all the songs and ideas on that record are so heavy that I would stand on stage and we would perform these songs. And especially coming from the punk world, it's taken a long time for me to understand that just because someone's standing there not doing anything uh, doesn't mean they're not enjoying the show, but <laughs> it was a way for us to kind of like lighten up the show. And, and then we just kind of adopted it as our own. And I don't, I don't think I realized until like, more like retroactively that releasing it as the first of these singles um, was really appropriate. Um, it kind of exemplified this direction of that I was taking things in mm -hmm. and doesn't too far from where it was, but I think it gave uh, these new songs a nice context. Mm -hmm. and I, uh, for better or worse, I, I think context is important, especially when people are listening to Zik and trying to understand it. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it's been a big thing. Like, and doing more, we do all sorts of old classic country covers, songs that we like when we're, we're out on the road. And that's been really fun because it kind of like, yeah, it just opens up this different experience. And I think that it kind of makes the other songs resonate in a way that maybe they didn't before. Um, mm -hmm when they didn't have context in certain rooms, certain spaces, certain sects of my individual community where there is no context for those things. <laughs> or the context is, I grew up in this shitty place and everybody liked country music and I hate it and I've done everything to get away, away from it. So yeah, I love, I don't know, I love that song. And <laughs> I, I still like, I still just, we have so much fun playing it. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm curious, you mentioned that you do like some other covers. What are, what are some of the other ones that you uh, pull out in rotation? Do a lot of Merle Haggard. A uh, couple of Towns Van Zant songs. We've done some Tom T. Hall. Uh, some Willie, Willie Nelson songs, some Waylon Jennings songs. We have kind of over the past year like built up this whole repertoire of songs we um and it's all about kind of you know sometimes we we don't do any of them but we we did this thing where we went out and we played all these weekends played in all these bars that friends of mine run and clubs that we've been to that we have relationships with and we were like it was kind of like going out on a limb trying to do this thing with a group of guys that i've been playing with and uh yeah, there was one night we were up in upstate New York, a place called Tubby's in Kingston, New York. And it's a pretty thin night. There was like people in the bar, but we were kind of playing in this separate room. And there was like, there was some folks watching, but like overall it was like kind of an interesting sleepy night. And at some point we just started going into cover songs and we played, uh, Merle Haggard's Okie from Muskogee. And when we went into that song, all of a sudden out of nowhere, the whole 
bar runs into the room and they started <laughs> dancing to the song. It was complete like drunken chaos. And, and, and we're just like on stage, just like thinking it's hilarious. But then we just kept, we kind of started this thing where we're like, all right, if we run into that situation, then we'll just start doing these country cover songs. And then at least we'll just be able to laugh about it. Uh, <laughs> so that's a new, yeah. We also play a party in, in Philly a lot called Baby's First Rodeo. That's kind of like the only real country music party in town. And so we're always learning new songs for that and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But to me, learning learning songs is how I learned to write songs, learned how to play guitar. So uh, getting back in touch with that has been really fun because it kind of just shows you like, just constantly gives you these ideas of like, oh, that's how this person did it. That's how she did it. That's how, like, um, so yeah, constantly, constantly working <laughs> on that stuff. Yeah, that's really interesting what you said about like kind of learning songwriting by, you know, practicing like other songwriters. Like that makes a lot of sense, but it's not really, I guess, something that I ever kind of thought about. Um, and I, I know you're like kind of gearing up to work on getting a new album out this year. So how is that kind of like, how is like the releasing of the singles and working on all those covers and everything, how's that kind of like affected um, the writing? I know you said earlier, it's like been very hard for you in the past to kind of get you know, the cohesive album together? I guess uh, in one way it's incredibly confusing <laughs> <laughs> because you kind of like, I don't know, I've always kind of come at, uh, been really into concept writing when it comes to a record. It's like I, I, I get moved by something or I start to like develop this idea and I feel like that's that's worth me going like really hard in this direction on this and uh yeah i i've been uh i've been writing so many songs and so many different kinds of songs and some of them because uh are like so far in a direction that i'm like it's almost like imposter syndrome i think <laughs> might be the like i'm like can i like can i do this i just i've been actually uh after this I'm recording a podcast that is focused around Willie Nelson's um, record Shotgun Willie. And so I've had to like spend a bunch of time with this record, but actually I started it, but I was going to uh, focus on Willie Nelson's record Redheaded Stranger, which is one of the most beautiful concept records of all time. If you haven't listened to it, uh, or if anyone listening hasn't listened to it, I highly recommend going back and listening to Redheaded Stranger. But I started listening to that record and it kind of like clicked for me. I was like, you know, you listen to music all the time, especially these great pieces, um, and you draw that kind of inspiration. But it, I guess like for as insp inspiring as it is, you also like hit these walls. You're like, I want to make a record like that. I want to like, I just find it so it's like there's endless, I guess that's the beauty of song. There's, there's these endless, this endless potential of subject and approach to all of it. And we have such a wealth in history of demonstration of all this. Uh, so I guess that's why I said it's, it can be a little confusing, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, I, f I feel like you can't really like kind of be moved like, hear something and be like 
Oh, that's cool. I could write a song like that. At the end of the day, it's it's a lot more simple than that. It's just whatever ends up being written and coming out is the things that feel directly natural to you and what you what you're experiencing or what you are thinking about. And that's what I'm constantly following is just I feel like I have these like aha moments where it's just like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But in between that, I might write four songs that I'm just like maybe more are just for an exercise than uh something that anyone really needs to hear mm-hmm. yeah I mean so is that kind of like the way you've always been or is that kind of like a more recent um change in your writing definitely the way that I've always been but I, I think that um I've been kind of as I get older getting closer to I guess like at some point you have to, you look up to all these people and you're, you're doing this thing and you spend your life doing this thing. And I think it's like a really long transition where you at some point have to recognize that like, not necessarily that you're like a master in your field or anything (laughs) dumb like that. But like at some point you have to be like, all right, I've been writing songs for 15 years. Uh, I've been traveling for 15 years on the road more like at some point you have to accept the responsibility of like maybe this is just this is what I do like mm-hmm. this is and I think that that's yeah I don't, I don't know if imposter syndrome is the right way of putting that but I, I I think it is I think it's like this idea like I don't know I guess it's like a getting comfortable in your own skin kind of thing and mm-hmm. I think that with songwriting um I don't think I'll ever be totally comfortable. I don't think it's something that you can necessarily master, um, mm-hmm. at least the way that I approach it. Um, I think there's always like this kind of magic involved. It's something that's like bigger than you. It's almost like you're uh, you're channeling this thing, not that you're not curating this idea, but you're like just kind of being open to catching these things as they pass by or these, these moments, fleeting moments of inspiration. Um, and it's something that I, I do feel like I've accepted more responsibility for, or just become more comfortable and like, for whatever it's worth, like, this is, this is my life. This is what I do. And I think that in that, uh, it's definitely changed my approach to it a little bit. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier or, uh, make, me have the ability to ever be able to tell anybody else how to write a song because <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, uh, I, I feel like there's definitely like um, kind of like a power in like accepting like kind of like okay, this is the way that I write music. Like this is the way it works for me, and kind of like allowing that process to happen rather than you know constantly trying to chase what could potentially be like a better process. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's there's so many people ways that people approach music because music is also for some uh like the way that i see it is it there is like a spiritual element of it um it's like a journey it's this it's the way that writing songs is the way that i figure out how to how life works how i come to terms with things how i understand the world um but there's also a whole other side of it where song is commodity and there's a major market that has created that so that i mean there's people that 
write music in a very different way where they're chasing trends or chasing these things where it's like, oh, this could end. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine doing that. I just feel like for me, that would make, well, there'd be no joy in it, but uh, I also just don't think that I'd have the ability to fake anything <laughs> that much to where it would become a commodity to anybody. Uh, so yeah, I just, I just try to stick to like not overthinking it while also constantly overthinking it <laughs> and uh, letting it be, be natural. And then just having those moments, like when I wrote, I think twice as high was the last time I really felt, felt that there was something about, the way I put that song together where I was just like, I know like if it feels like something to me, I'm like, that's a pretty good sign. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I, I just think you just gotta let it be whatever is natural to you. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we had mentioned earlier about um, Twice As High, how it kind of, you know, was a song, but it wasn't recorded and then came together totally like after the video. So what, where in that process was it that you like had that feeling of like it being right? I think the mo the there's like a moment in performance where when I get a song to a place where I go out and I play it for people, um, it's there's like a finalization that happens where I decide like, and not that it's like, you know, I have changed songs around after the fact, but with that song, it was like, I decided the way that I thought that it was, um, and when I made that decision and I started to perform it that way, <laughs> it was just, uh, it was a, yeah, there was like a, a moment where it clicked for me. It, it felt, there was a feeling, I guess. It's time for this episode's shout out. Today, we have a multi-hitter. You may know Jesse Cannon from his work producing some of your favorite bands, or maybe from his multiple podcasts, or maybe even from his top-notch books on the music industry and creativity. Well, he's done it again, and combined all those things and more into his new MuseFormation YouTube channel. Much of the content is also available on the Noise Creators podcast feed. Though it's only about a month old, Jesse already has close to two hours of invaluable content on how to understand and succeed in the music industry while remaining true to yourself. Whether you're an artist, manager, label owner, or even just a fan interested in how the music business works, Museformation is a must-watch. I always like to kind of wrap up by um, asking for either like a piece of advice or something you've been like mulling over philosophically or whatever, um, either about like life or music um, that you would just like, like to share. How much time do we have? <laughs> uh, well, I don't know. I feel like we've talked about a lot of things here, but um, one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is uh, the importance of being yourself, not comparing yourself to others, and letting, I guess, to wrap everything back up, like letting your experience with whatever it is that you're doing be natural and letting it come from a, a place that is good. I think that uh, when you compare yourself to others, it's always a losing battle. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that one of the greatest struggles in life is trying to get closer to this idea, whatever it means, of being our true selves 
And when we, the closer we get to that, I feel like it's just better for everybody. And um, so I don't know, maybe think about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I think that kind of fits for uh, both of those pot- potential prongs, either about like music specifically or like life in general. I think that's uh, applicable to both of those. <laughs> Absolutely. And there you have it. 2020 is off to a roaring start. Please do check out Roger Harvey, especially the singles and videos he released at the end of last year. Even if you're not a fan of country music, I truly believe you will find something to connect to in there. And please feel free to take a couple minutes to subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, show me some Twitter love, and generally share this podcast and the music I cover with your friends. It's tremendously appreciated. I love doing this and would love to see it continue to grow and give amazing bands even more of a platform. A special thank you as always to The Alternative for helping to promote the show, Kaylin West of Tiny Stills for the theme song, and Michaela Jane Palermo for the artwork. You can keep up to date by subscribing to the podcast and following the show on Twitter and Instagram at FlyOnTheCallPod. Feel free to email any questions, comments, or other feedback to me at FlyOnTheCallPod at gmail.com. Have a great day. You got this. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Uh